This recording of Cracking Certifications is brought to you by Ally Coffee. Ally Coffee connects specialty coffee and roasters in a more ethical and personal way, helping to bring transparency and trust to the coffee chain. We're excited about this one because this is great to have a collaboration between uh, Barista League and Tampa Tantrum. Um, I'm a huge fan of what Stephen does, as you will have heard last night, um, and it's fantastic to be involved. Um, this is just such a cool event that we get together. We can have fun on a Saturday night and on a Sunday morning. We can come and sit and uh, talk about certifications, which um, we, we can then class this as a work. Uh, we've actually been to work. We didn't just party last night and drink beer. Um, these things are not possible without the support of uh, Ali Coffee, who is our title partner. And um, a huge thank you to Ali for last night and for today. Um, it's, it's really good that they're getting involved. Uh, and also a thank you to uh, the Scandic uh, Hotel Partners. I don't know anybody stopped there last night, but they're very comfortable, if not a little noisy. Um, so, uh, yeah, thank you to them. So we are um, talking about certifications and trying to understand uh, certifications and their role within um, our sector is specialty coffee. Uh, and I'm very, very lucky to be uh, joined by uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Lim, um, who is from uh, Fairtrade Sweden. And I, I have things to read about you, Elizabeth. This is like a short introduction. So hopefully it's right. So, yes. So it, I, I'm going to cut it down into a short one because Jen's given me notes. It's really yeah. good. So, um, so you are the business development manager at Fairtrade uh, Sweden, uh, a 20 years buyer and source of managing in fashion. You joined Fairtrade in 2009, and uh, you're into vintage dresses. I like that one. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, shopping Is there? Yeah. Should I go shopping later? Yeah, we can go later. Okay, I'm fantastic. here tonight, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, so uh, tell me a little bit more about your work with Fairtrade Sweden and how you got involved. Yeah, thanks. Uh, well, first of all, I want to thank everybody for inviting me because uh, I think it's uh, it's interesting that we uh, I mean certifications that we're here to talk about it because I I think there's a lot of misunderstanding out there so I'd like to clear some of that up and I'm um, uh, yeah w what was the question I started in 2009 <laughs> no, so, so tell me a little bit more about your work with yeah. Fairtrade Sweden and kind of how you became involved yeah. and, and and what kind of things a business development man manager does because it sounds like a very very posh title it is isn't it but it looks good on LinkedIn <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so <laughs> exactly not my title in uh, in my mail address but anyway yeah so I uh, I was in the fashion industry for many years and then um, I got the chance to join Fairtrade working with Fairtrade Cotton actually um, uh, in 2009 and uh, I worked with that for two years and then um, on a Nordic level and then I started working with coffee and wine who are quite uh, two big uh, fetter products in Sweden sustainable lager two of my favorite products oh, as well really? yes yeah, yeah. oh cool <laughs> well um, so what I do is actually manage the the current I mean we have quite big companies, as you know, Lerbeis and Arvid Nordqvist, and I mean, a lot of big, all the big roasters except the biggest one, Juvelia, um, the market leader. 
and uh, try to, to manage those key accounts to, to get them to do as much fair trade as possible. Um, and then also try to find uh, new accounts if I have time. Um, and I hope that this could maybe be a beginning. It would be great if, if even smaller speciality coffee roasters would be able to do fair trade because it, it is possible. Well, you were giving me an example earlier about uh, a small roastery in Stockholm that is doing... Um, yeah. Like fair trade on a really small scale, and that you, there's been adaptions in the process for how that works now with a smaller roaster. Yeah, it has because I, I mean I come from the business world, so to speak. So I, working with certifications and standards is can be quite complicated and and uh, expensive. And I was contacted by a, a small uh, actually I'm doing a bit of promotion here, but uh, it's actually a small roastery in um, roastery in Stockholm. Uh, it's just one one person, and he contacted us and said, "Listen, I I do get questions from from my customers about fair trade and organic, and um, there's a lot of speciality coffee roasters out there that don't want to do fair trade because it's expensive and complicated, and the quality is not good." And I said, "I think it." 20 years ago, probably, quality was quite shit. <laughs> but uh, things have changed, and uh, we don't have any quality criteria in our standards, so that, the, fair enough. But fair trade can also be speciality quality. So I met with him, and uh, I said, listen, you know, because he wanted to do his, his, um, his speciality qualities that he couldn't get as fair trade, and he wanted to do fair trade as well. So we have a small certification scheme that is much less costly, and you're only being audited like every three years and stuff, so there's less of a risk. And uh, yeah, now he's doing it. It's not big volumes, but it makes a difference for that community, I mean, for, the, for, for those roasters. So Jen always preps me with lots of questions for this one because I'm not clever enough to think of them myself. I know this is a shock to you all, um, but it says, pretend I know nothing about Fairtrade International. How would you describe it? There's no pretending going on. Tell, tell me about Fairtrade International and what it actually is and, and like in a short sentence of describing, describing it. Well, it's, it's a way uh, through a label actually to, to connect the farmer with the consumer so it's a, it's a quick and, I wouldn't say always easy, but it's a really quick way uh, for companies to use our label uh, to source fairly and pay a higher price and all that. And there's uh, traceability all through, uh, you know, all, all the chains. But, and then in a very quick way, communicate that to the consumer. Because I think maybe that's one of the challenges you have in direct trade, that there's no common definition of direct trade. So it really, it's really up to you have to trust your barista, right? Very much. I mean, and that, and that is one of the problems that I'm sure we're going to come to yeah. a little later. And I, and I want to add, I mean, our, we, there's a lot of focus in, in the Nordics in Sweden about environment and organic. And I think we are what, what Fairtrade is doing is, is this more, even more of the social bit and payment. Because we, we're, we're working with living income and living wages, you know, that's, what, that's our goal. Because farmers need to get paid more, and I think you, are, you already know this, you're already paying a lot more than uh, many other uh, companies, so, yeah. But I think it's an interesting topic, again, I'm sure we'll come on to it, but paying more just isn't necessarily just the thing you need to do. There are many other things uh, yeah. uh, to consider in there. Um, I'd like to invite up our, our next guest, uh, and uh, please round of applause for Marcus Sheffer. <laughs> so Marcus lives and works on Juro? Yeah, Duro Island, 
um, and is the sole representative of Rainforest Alliance in the Nordics. Uh, has worked for Rainforest Alliance since 2007, manages communications, the company stakeholder relationships, and um, like white water kayaking. Like, wow. how, how did you find these things out, Jen? Like, yeah, is this like your weird Google searches? <laughs> I think I might have told her that. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, and that, that was me thinking she was smart. <laughs> oh. Sure she is. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't tell her that. She'll get, uh, she'll get really carried away. So, um, tell us a little bit about your background, Marcus, um, and how you started working for Rainforest Alliance. Yeah, all right. Well, I've come from communications. That's my sort of my professional background. I have a studied forestry before as well, so that links well into the Rainforest Alliance. And I started working with them some 10 years ago. There. And uh, I work with them as a consultant. Uh, I have three days a week that I work for them. And basically, you're looking at Rainforest Alliance Nordic office. It's me. <laughs> so we, 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 don't, we, we don't spend an, an awful lot of money in the, in the markets. So, um, Unlike fair trade. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair trade does a very good job in promoting <laughs> ethical trade. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, Jen, Jen's written this again and says, let's pretend again what Rainforest Alliance is at a high, on a higher level. So, tell us a little bit about uh, Rainforest Alliance. Give us a, a basic understanding. Yeah. Well, the Rainforest Alliance is an environmental NGO to start off with. We're not a certification organization per se, we use certification as a tool. So that, that's the first one. We've been around for 30 years, so it's our celebrating 30 years of work this year. And our focus is really to preserve biodiversity or save the world's forest and uh, contribute to sustainable livelihoods. And we work in agriculture, forestry, climate, and tourism. So we've got some slides of yours that we're going to go through. We're going to try and see them the best they can. We'll try and upload these somewhere as well so people can see them because it doesn't represent so well on the screen. No. But, um, yeah. let's, let's see see what we can do with it. Yeah, so, so maybe if we should talk, say a little bit how we work and if we focus on the certification part. I mean, the, so the certification is based on a standard of course, a set of rules, and those standards are owned and developed by... Uh, the Sustainable Agriculture Network, which is a network of 11 NGOs, predominantly from Latin America and Africa. So it's a standard that's developed for, for the challenges that are there. But I thought I should start with an animation showing sort of what we mean we want to save the world's forest and what we talk about that we need to protect biodiversity. But what do we really mean by that? Is it just the biodiversity in the coffee farm? But not, because Rainforest Lines work very much more on a landscape perspective. So uh, let's skip that one. This is, a, we'll see how it works well. Do you see, this is northern Guatemala in the Petén region. All these green fields is um, the uh, Maya Biosphere National Park. The example is based on satellite imagery taken from 1986 and going forward. Do you see that there are stripes? You have three sections here. You have a full block, which is green, national park, people living there, but you're not allowed to, to cut down trees or do anything, basically. It's, it's a national park, right? The striped area is an area where Rainforest Alliance works with small-scale forestry, so it's a very low impact, but you do cut down trees in the national park. And the uh, beige area is the agriculture frontier. And when you start kicking off here, you see the red parts is deforestation. This is what we try to prohibit, or stop with Rainforest Alliance, because the main driver of deforestation is agriculture. And in this case, in Africa, in Latin America, poverty is one of the driving forces, depending on where you are. And as you saw in the, 
the resolution isn't fantastic, but there hasn't been any deforestation in the area where we work with forestry. And the reason for that is that you actually provide people with viable, a viable way of uh, providing for themselves. If we extrapolate this, then you will see we probably won't have any forest left in, in the national parks. So regardless of the rules we put up, if we don't provide farmers with solutions, then, then we're in a, in a tight spot. And then you want, wanted me to talk a bit about sort of how we measure impacts and stuff, but we'll do that later, I can yeah. imagine. Yeah. So um, both of you work in, like, the companies that are using certification as a means to, to an end. <coughs> um, what are the goals of fair trade in the certification? Because the certification part isn't the important bit, really, is it? It's the goals that you're trying to achieve. So what are fair trade trying to achieve? Well, I think we're trying to, I mean, the system, fair trade, is, is actually half owned by, by the producers. So w whatever decisions we make within fair trade regarding standards or pricing or whatever, uh, they have a 50% vote in our General Assembly. So it's not a top-down system where we decide what's best for them. And it's about uh, basically ending poverty and, and uh, getting... Uh, giving people uh, in developing countries the opportunity to, to take control of their lives, you know? And that's why, the, for example, the fair trade premium is such an important part of fair trade because 25% uh, of the premium has to be used in um, productivity and quality improvement. That's in the standard. The rest is up to them to decide what they want to do. Do we want to build a school? Do we want to uh, drill for water? I mean, it's really not for us to decide. So uh, empowering people to take control of their lives and, and earn a better living. And put their kids to school, you know, simple things. And the same question for you, Marcus. So obviously this, we get bound up in the certification side of it. Yeah. But the, give, over, give overarching, the, the overarching goal is the same. So it is preserve biodiversity, save the world's forest, and create sustainable livelihoods. That, that is the mission statement of the Rainforest Alliance, regardless of which area we work in. And in agriculture, that means that we're promoting climate-smart agriculture, preserving biodiversity, reducing pesticide use, and stuff like that. Yeah. So, Elizabeth, can you give me a, a basic understanding of how the organisation works? So, how you make your money, how you actually do the certifications, like, what are the impacts on the farmers, what are the impacts on the buyers, it kind of just a, a general understanding of how the organisation works. Okay, uh, I'll try that. <laughs> well, um, it's Fair Trade International. It's, it's a member-based organisation. So Fair Trade Sweden is a member of Fair Trade International, and then I mean that's the governance system, and and the own um, and the producers and farmers and workers have half of the, the votes, as I said. So um, we finance our system. Uh, some of it is funding um, from NGOs and so on and government bodies, and, uh, but we have a license fee. You know, you have to pay a license fee uh, to use the mark, and that's our way of, of financing, you know, our work in Sweden and UK and other countries, you know. Uh, but we're a non-profit organization. I think that's really important to, to point out because whenever in Sweden, uh, whenever we have too high <laughs> income, so to speak, on license fees, we, uh, we, we uh, decreased the, the license fees, and we have halved them since 2009, since I started. Um, so, so that's financing, and then that's separate because sometimes people mix up the fettered premium, the license fee, certification costs, etc. So we have an independent, independent third-party uh, audit organization called FlowCert, and they do the auditing, and they need to cover their costs, so they you have to pay for certification and audits. 
but license fees is more for, for marketing and also for producer support. And then uh, the fetid premium is paid by the first buyer in the chain. And, um, and that's being, uh, so, so FlowCert needs to check that. As you say, we talked about before, you, give, you pay more money for your coffee, but you don't know where the money goes. And that's the, the assurance you have with Flo, uh, Fairtrade and FlowCert that they check how the, the money is being used in the right way. So I don't know whether that was answering. Uh, no, I, 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 that's a complicated question to put into yeah. uh, a short space of time, but fantastic. I'm going to put you on the spot as well, Marcus, but you've had time to think about it now. But <laughs> <Go> <laughs> give, us a, give us an understanding of how um, Rainforest Alliance works and basically how it makes its money and that is able to re where it reinvests that money that it makes. Yeah, all right. Well, so first of all, we, we're a non-profit, we're a charity uh, as well. Uh, we have one of the founders of the organization is still the chairman of the organization, right? We don't work with licensing fees. So we don't get any money for, for companies using the seal. There is a small, if you're taking the finance part first, we take a small part, it's uh, one and a half cent per pound of green pot coffee from the importer. That's the only fee we have uh, concerning the, the pr production. Uh, but otherwise, uh, the main contributor to us financially is you will look to the Global Environmental Facility, United Nations Development Program, and, and, the, and uh, those kind of organizations that supports projects that we do, right? So there's a, a very short one. Should I do more how we work now? Are you happy? Yeah, I'm happy. Good. I'm happy. <laughs> um, we should get some, uh, some more people up here because uh, more people means more debate. So uh, um, please a round of applause for Angel Mario Martinez Garcia. <laughs> so uh, Angel is from uh, Colima in Mexico, uh, a market research coordinator and strategic planner. Is that my best. Well, long titles, isn't it? <laughs> that was in my previous life. Okay, okay. 2004, you moved to the Netherlands. Uh, and in 2009, oversaw uh, Progresso expansion in Africa and Asia. Um, an MBA in sustainable business. Um, SCA, Sustainability Cadet Council. Um, but no funny thing about you. So you're going to have to tell us something that like you like kayaking or you like vintage dresses or... So you're going to have to come up with your own for this one. Well, I'm going to start by uh, something that we don't do very often at Progreso, and that is bragging about ourselves. We just won the Sustainability Award for the special from the Specialty Coffee Association. That well, was you're announced. on the board. Surely that's no, a no, fix. no. I'm in the in the advisory council, <laughs> <laughs> not not in the, <laughs> in the, in the board. Me. So we won the Sustainability Award. So we want to share that. It's a really, really good award. Standing ovation, please. Thank you. <laughs> So, uh, well, I, I, no, I don't uh, like kayaking and no. those, no, I, I don't. Um, Tell me uh, you don't like vintage dresses and I don't, I don't believe <laughs> No, you. I don't like that, that either. I don't know, I, just, I, I love films. I love going to the movies and uh, that is uh, something I uh, spend a lot of time and money there. That's a good one. That's yeah. a good one. I like that. I go there for the popcorn. <laughs> so tell me more about your experiences working with, with Progresso and, uh, and about certifications. Just, just give us a little bit of background about what it is and, and, and what you do. Well, at Progresso, we have worked the, the past 15 years uh, and I have been involved uh, in Progresso for the past 13 years. We have worked with more than 102 uh, coffee and cocoa producer organizations, mostly uh, cooperatives. And uh, so with uh, these 102 uh, organizations, we have 
always uh, have to, to, to deal with uh, certification. So uh, at some point uh, when we start working with uh, organizations, and uh, let me explain to you a little bit of how we do it, we come in contact with a, an organization that is weak, has no market, is not known, is being abused by uh, local uh, coyotes or local intermediaries. And uh, so uh, the goal of our program is to professionalize organizations so then they can sell the coffee or the cocoa directly to uh, importers, to roasters, to, uh, to, to whoever uh, is willing to, to, to pay uh, a better price and have better conditions uh, for, for that uh, trade. So we have had, uh, we, we, must have, uh, we must work with certifications at some point because the market is demanding uh, uh, those certifications. So uh, I mean as a preparation for, for, for this uh, uh, day, uh, one of the things that, uh, of the benefits of certifications in the past uh, 15 years for Progresso organizations has been the access to the market that these certifications have opened for the, for the producers. Without these uh, certifications, whether it's uh, fair trade, organic, Rainforest Alliance, Oots, bird friendly, gorilla friendly, uh, there's hundreds of certifications you can, uh, you, you can uh, look at. Uh, one of the, be the, 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 the benefits that I see the most is uh, the access that they have uh, uh, provided to the, to the market for these, uh, for these groups. Fantastic. Thank you very much. I mean, that's, that's an awful lot of information in there. My head's spinning. Um, I'd like to invite somebody else up to join us as well. Uh, please round of applause for Sarah Marachi. So Sarah is from Vuna Origin Consulting, originally born in Italy, educated in the finest country on the planet in the UK, and uh, <laughs> uh, been in coffee since 2007, uh, a social scientist by training, um, development worker in Kenya in the early 2000s, um, East Africa Supply Chain Manager at Sustainable Harvest and worked uh, up to Global Procurement Supply Chain Management for four years. Started Vuna Consulting um, Supply Chain Strategies um, uh, back in 2015. 15. Late 2015. And, and, and second time Tampa Tantra Speaker, so it's, uh, it's, it's good to have you uh, back on. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your experiences of working when you were working with Sustainable Harvest and also in your current role um, and how certifications fit into that? Yes, so um, Sustainable Harvest is a specialty coffee importer that uh, was founded in the late 90s and uh, it started with uh, a few roasters that you probably know like uh, uh, Stumptown, Intelligentsia and, and, and Allegro, Green Mountain as one of the first importers that started to bring fair trade and organic coffee in the United States as the specialty coffee movement really started to take off in the West Coast. So as global procurement uh, person, I oversaw a lot of uh, fair trade and organic uh, buying uh, from Central and South America and, and, and a lot of Africa. Uh, so yeah, I would say about 80% of our coffee was fair trade organic, and uh, by the time I left, it went down a little bit. Um, my personal experience, uh, of course, you know, it was mainly with smallholders. Those are the, 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 the organizations, producer organizations that tend to uh, go for uh, the certifications. Um, but yes, there's been an evolution in, in, the, in the eight years that I was at Sustainable Harvest, I saw how uh, primarily the focus 
shifted from just being certified on how can you be certified and yet keep up with the specialty uh, market demands around quality. And that was a challenge that, that, that I think with direct trade, it was really put on the spot uh, for specialty uh, producer organizations. Um, so that's the evolution that I saw in these eight years. Uh, when I moved to the, uh, the Netherlands, uh, I wanted to do something completely different, uh, sort of uh, focus on what I personally liked. And so with VUNA, we operate uh, at three levels. Uh, first, we just, we call it the intervention. Uh, we identify a problem with a specific uh, supply chain or producer organization, and we just fix that particular problem. Uh, it could be quality, uh, it could be access to market. Um, then we try to scale uh, the, the supply chain, so try to see where we have more potential in terms of profitability and viability uh, within the market. Um, so that would be the second tier. And then the last tier is innovation, right? What's, what's sort of the blue ocean strategy? What, what, is, what is needed in order to be successful that is not out there? And so in the last year, I've been focusing a lot uh, not so much on certification, but on price risk management. So creating financial and hedging tools uh, to protect against uh, market volatility. Uh, but again, you know, uh, the certification and the minimum, you know, the price minimums and the floor, uh, the pricing mechanisms obviously are, are, are very relevant to the discussion and what I do. And when you're talking about risk management, are you talking about solely on the producers or are you talking as, as buyers as well? I'm, 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 I'm going off script here. Jen's going to yeah. tell me, but I'm interested yeah. in that one. No, definitely. Uh, well, it's a really good question because I think that right now uh, producers, funny enough, I think have more access to price risk management than a lot of the small-scale roasters. Uh, but I try to do it for both. And there are not a lot of... Uh, entry points uh, when you want to start hedging, and I'm talking about financial hedging. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out ways to make that more accessible uh, for producers uh, that have single farms or you know small roasters that cannot afford to buy more than a container. And I think addressing one without the other would be very difficult. You know, it's the, the, the actual combination of the problem is because of the volatility. Correct. Um, we should get our, our final guest uh, to come up and join us. Please, round of applause for Joanna Alm <laughs> from Drop Coffee Roasters in Stockholm. From Dalana, uh, ran a coffee bar in Oslo uh, and then moved to Drop in 2010. Now C CEO, head roaster, green buyer, bottle washer, floor sweeper. Um, two times winner of Swedish roasting championships and... Um, three times represented at the world to 2014 to 2016. So that's impressive. Um, tell us about your coffee buying experience and what's important to you as a coffee buyer. Um, like it's always been like as for everyone in this room, I think, and especially coffee wise to actually know where the coffee is coming from, know the conditions that you are having there. So they started by, okay, we have to, we have to visit every, uh, every farm we are buying coffee from. And quite uh, important, but simplified, we have always paid like uh, a lot of money for, for the coffee we've been buying. Um, and I've been buying through green coffee sources and uh, now more and more directly. We used to buy maybe from 10 different countries, but we have now scaled it down to 
five, where we're trying to focus in a lot more and do it better. And doing this, like I came to a point where um, uh, I know I, I know what I'm doing in every individual project or, or farm and how we are working there. But I am not a person who have a professional experience, like say as you do previously working in cotton and, and trading and so, so. So it was this summer, I was listening to the radio and I heard a speaker talking about um, uh, how to um, how to work with uh, export in fragile countries, and to and it was one sentence that just like got stuck in my head, and that was to make sure that we're doing more good stuff than we're doing any any harm. So uh, I knew all the good things we're doing, and I haven't seen anything bad when something been bad. Like we always acted on that, but I was still like, is there anything? that we're missing. So therefore, I then contacted um, this person uh, that is a um, lawyer in sustainability uh, working with export. And we are now writing up like guidelines in uh, how we're buying coffee. And yeah, so that's where we are now. So kind of developing almost your own certification uh, within it, do you use any currently any of the certifications? So, Fairtrade, Rainforest Alliance, Organic, all of those things. No, I mean I come across Fairtrade mainly. I think like traveling in uh, Ethiopia, Kenya, like it's incredible, like the structure that have been built up in these countries through certifications. Uh, for me, I've never found one individual certification being enough. Uh, when I worked, uh, talking about organic, who's not here today, um, I do have coffees sometimes that are certified with like Rainforest Alliance, organic, etc., that I still choose not to market or to do because it's not the model we're focusing on. And I think that we're trying to do something like even, like of course working with few farmers and like really focusing there and do something um, beyond that. If we're doing our own certification, no, I'm not. I'm not sure. It's more like human rights and like get this written down in like how do we act when we're doing this. The more and more I read about this, is actually like by law that like as a as a buyer as well, like you have to ask, uh, has this coffee? Like, are you sure there are no kids on this uh, farm when it's a school available? Are you sure? Like, that's by law what we are supposed to do. So this is not, like I, I get actually very, very happy to say that if we are trading coffee according to the rules in a good way by the guidelines in Sweden, in UK, they are like, they are kind of strict and kind of hard. So um, uh, yeah. So if you can sum up your, your approach to green buying in just like one sentence or a few words, what, what would that be? love putting her on the spot, look at that, the cogs are worrying <laughs> everything. <laughs> no, but I guess it's uh, to make things better and make sure we don't destroy anything, rather use a model when we are creating something better and not just like uh, maintain or even destroy uh, some structure or uh, this can be corruption or, or anything that we're not a part of that, we're actually trying to do something better by trading the coffee. 
Fantastic. So now we've kind of all been introduced and we all kind of know each other and you know us. Um, we've got that kind of background in our in, in perspective of what we're doing. Let, let's get down to it and let's really start with, I, I kind of want to start on a positive. I like positives. Yeah. So um, Elizabeth, I want to start with you and I'd like to talk a little bit about like what are the positive effects, the positive impact that Fairtrade has at Origin uh, when it comes to coffee? Good question. I think uh, I, I actually missed saying one of our, apart from reducing poverty and paying more, I think one really key aspect of fair trade is the organizational development of, of, of producers. Because, and you and I talked about it a little bit before, where you know, we don't certify individual uh, families, farms. We don't, they couldn't afford it. It's not the way we work. So it's not a question that we don't want to do something for these people too. But we also think as a democracy kind of school almost, you know, if you, if you have an organization where you get together uh, and, and you work together and you elect representatives and you, you work with the premium and, and everybody can have a vote and all that stuff, you know. So we're actually doing a lot and, and that's not really very sexy to communicate to consumer. What do you mean? Capacity building, organizational development, you know, infrastructure, you know, it's so boring. Um, but when you, when you visit producers and you, you talk to them and, and you can see how proud they are that, you know, we, we, we come together uh, and we're doing this together and we're selling and they become stronger as, as a group, you know. How... I mean, you all in this room, you're, you're good people. You're buying, you're paying a good price. You're buying from somebody. You, you met the farmers. Um, but these people are not, not everybody is as nice as we are, you know. So they need to become stronger together and also sell more volumes then, obviously, together than just one bag here and there. So in, uh, I kind of go back to the first part you said about the, the reducing poverty thing. I mean, fair trade's been around since, what, 1984 now? 1988. 88. Like, and I mean, has it achieved that goal? I mean, do you feel that it's kind of getting to the point where poverty is being reduced, or is it maintaining this kind of? St uh, it's a little bit better than it would be. Mm. I, I met one producer, and she said, uh, "Fair trade is is uh, is is going from nothing to something." You know, so no, we're definitely not there. I mean, the end goal for fair trade would be that we don't have to be here at all because trade is being done on fair terms and, and uh, we're equal partners, you know, buyers and sellers. And that's not the world we're living in. So we definitely have a long way to go, but we are actually really pushing uh, and developing our standards so that we're now talking about aiming for living wages and living income uh, for smallholders. Um, and I don't have any numbers in my head, but it's definitely gotten better, but we're, we have a long, long way to go. Um, Angel Mario, uh, coming to you, asking you the same questions. Tell us some of the positive impacts that you're having uh, with the work that you're doing. Uh, well, we uh, related to certification or in, in general? Uh, well, I mean, both. I think both. I mean, both. Let, let's take both. <coughs> yeah, I mean, because we, uh, for, for, for us, uh, certification is just one part of the big puzzle that it is working with, uh, with producer organizations. And indeed, we, we work a lot uh, uh, on capacity building, uh, loans for small infrastructure, pre-financing, yeah, things that are completely uh, like not like yeah, you tell a consumer here and they're like well, whatever you know like uh, what's 
like, like soil fertility. Who cares about soil fertility? Well, producers do care about soil fertility and the organization needs to know about soil fertility. So with, uh, uh, I think we would not be at this stage, uh, both in, in uh, specialty and uh, in, in the level of having so many uh, organizations uh, around the world capable of producing the coffee they are producing, and also specialty coffee. I mean, uh, there's, um, yeah, the, most of certifications, they don't have really like a, like a code or, or something on, on specialty or quality, but that is developed together with the market. That's where the, 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 the roasters and the, the importers, they also support organizations to develop the way uh, they, they produce and improve the quality of their, um, of, of their coffee. So we, we have seen a lot of improvement uh, uh, from uh, how the organizations manage uh, themselves, how uh, the benefits from the, that's really also really important, how the benefits uh, that they get are distributed amongst the, the farmers. Uh, in organizations that don't work uh, with what we call the fair trade principles, that is honestly, honesty, uh, the democratic, and uh, another one that I'm uh, inclusive or something like that. Uh, if, if they don't work with those principles, then uh, they will not distribute the benefits to, uh, to all the farmers uh, the way they, they do it. So, so we can see a lot of improvements. We're far, far, far from reaching a point where uh, producers do have a wage or an income that allows them to not only cover their basic needs, but also to have some uh, additional income to invest in their farms or invest in their children or invest in their futures. But, uh, but, but I think, uh, uh, I mean, we are getting there. And there's, I mean, and I think we're just polishing now systems and developing things that uh, will help us to, uh, I mean, in, in, in the next phase, just to, to reach uh, more impact with the producers. And the same, same question to you, Marcus, really, is like, what positive impact is Rainforest Alliance having on the, on the, the overall world? Like, what, what is the positive thing, that you, the most positive thing you see coming out of the certification? Well, I suppose the most positive thing is, is when you see that you can move entire supply chains, right? Changing the practices from, from farm level all the way up to companies, that's something. But I mean, if you, and I suppose if you're looking down into the, for the local farmers, I mean, in a way, we're a bit of the, the odd one out here since we don't work with trade. I mean, that's not what we do. We, we work to change land use practices. And I think that's really beneficial to see that changing land use practices can actually have a huge financial impact as well. Taking care of your local uh, ecosystem is, is a key figure for, uh, regardless sort of, not, not regardless of price, but I mean, there are other factors that has a huge impact on farmer, uh, farmers' livelihoods. Joanna, I want to come, come back to you and, and talk about like, where certifications kind of fall down because you're not using certified coffee in your roastery. Like, why is that? What, what are the negatives of it, in, in your opinion, for, for the business model that you've chosen? I mean, I, I think I should be honest to say that like, at many farmers I visited, visited example, given in, or in particular in Ethiopia, I think that it's super tricky to work in a little of a corrupt country uh, with this model, like, and that's probably like local examples and things that can happen to anyone, but it's been so often I met farmers saying like, yeah, but you know, it costs so much every time they come out and this is really not profitable for me. And like, yeah, it was good, I got this structure, but it's, yeah, it's so expensive for me to, to do this certification as well. And my, like, I shouldn't say that we don't need a certification. I mean, that's why we are all sitting here. Um, 
So, but I think that in it's none of these certification that I could say like, yeah, you covered it all. Like, uh, I go with this. Like, none of them. I have now, and I need to look down. Uh, on the uh, contract we are writing up now, it's like four legs that are the most imp important that I can like narrow down in trading according to us. And that's the environmental, maybe looking at Rainforest Alliance then, that you're working a lot with, with that. Uh, Anti-corruption, label, uh, label A, meaning like working conditions and so-so, um, and the human rights. And like to cover these four in like in our example now, five, six countries and how you, yeah, how you cover this up and write action plans and what to do when it's not being following up. Like that's super complex. And then it's me myself being there and am able to take a, a responsibility but I guess I'm struggling to, like, no other certification have made, given me that trust in, like, okay, that's good enough. So. Sarah, I know you, we've talked about this before and that there are some negative sides to uh, certification. I think that, you know, the two certifiers with us here will, will agree. What, what, what's your take on that? Like, what are the negatives? Where does it fall down um, when it comes to certifications? Um. So I would, I would look at it um, at three things. Um, the one which I think is uh, especially uh, true to the roasters is maybe the uh, inability or challenges in communicating uh, social impact uh, and how the premium is being, is being used. Uh, it's absolutely true that the premium is used in a democratic system, producers' organization have a democratic system in place to determine how they're going to use the social premium, which is uh, guaranteed by the, the, the certification. Um, but sometimes we just don't know what the impact is at, uh, on, on the ground. Two, I think that perhaps there is uh, a lot of certified coffee uh, out there that doesn't have a market, so the supply is exceeding the demand, and so uh, that makes costs uh, especially high because then you, you end up selling it as non-certified, so it kind of beats the purpose. And the third, I think it's very technical, um, but since the, the new uh, floor pricing uh, was introduced uh, with uh, the open, open price and the, 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 the premium, uh, I think it created a lot of confusions and opened up to a lot of interpretation of what is the actual price flow for fair trade, and uh, I think that this is something that uh, FlowCert, so the audit organization is has to work more. It's not so much the fair trade international, uh, but really how the how the pricing mechanism works for guaranteeing uh, the minimum price. It's been uh, highly disputed, and I think that on the ground, unfortunately, a lot of companies that are not in our audience, but a lot of the bigger companies took advantage, uh, and there's definitely loopholes. So I think that, the, unfortunately, in many countries, the, the price minimum is not being uh, upheld. So those are the three challenges that I see.
Yeah, Elizabeth, I think that you'd be... Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting in. to hear, actually, because we, we, we know this challenge, and this has been an ongoing project for almost two years now to really look at, uh, because it's also um, what we are guaranteeing towards the consumer. They guarantee the premium and the price, etc., cetera, uh, when the market falls. And there are a lot of traders out there. There's, uh, they're, they're very um, creative when it comes to invoicing, and you can... You can I'm not a coffee expert, so I don't know exactly how it works with contracts and so on. But I mean, you can you can issue a, a credit note later on, and, and you know, and deduct it. I mean, there are all kinds of ways, and we are really aware of this challenge, and we're taking it very seriously. So, um, but it's it's so important that the, the you can do some deductions, of course, from from FOB, etc. But it's really a, a, an issue, and we're working on it. Can you explain the, the, the floor pricing the change that happened? This was about 18 months ago. Is that right, 18 months, two years ago? Well, we haven't changed the... the min you didn't mean that we changed the, the minimum price. price. Uh, or you meant... Uh, it was... So what happened is over the years, once the coffee started to... The market price around 2008, 2009 started to become extremely volatile. Fair trade had a minimum price, right? And it said you cannot buy fair trade coffee below price X. But then because the market was so volatile, uh, a lot of producers said, you know, in any case, we don't want fixed contracts. We need to have contracts uh, that are open and that are more in line with the market. And this, it was a specific need, not so much for, you know, high-end specialty roasters like Drop or others, but more the larger multinationals that wanted to guarantee fair trade, but also needed to be wary of market movements. And so they, they, fair trade developed in a differential pricing where you look at, the, at, this, at the, uh, the New York price and then you add a differential on top of it. And we don't have to go in the nitty gritty of it, but it, it was a little bit confusing. And, uh, and I think it's, you know, the larger the, the larger the multinational, the bigger the volumes, the more price sensitivity was an issue. And I think at that point in 2008, 2009 is really when sort of the dichotomy between direct trade and fair trade also started to, to, uh, to appear in, in, in the conversations. And, you know, the, on the direct trade side, we don't have to look at the market, right? We don't really care what the, a lot of people say, we don't care what the C does because I am so above the market price. But that is a reality that unfortunately represents maybe maybe 10, 15% of the coffee that is being traded, the other 85 is still like, no, we still look at the market every day. And so that mechanism was important to address a certain side of the industry. But that's where I think the dichotomy, I th in, in time it started to really become evident. Okay, can I add something? On, please, uh, because please. Uh, also, I mean, that was also part of the, uh, like the producer organizations also started to look for additional alternatives also to work with the roasters and say, well, we need, I mean, we have high quality. With, uh, our price is uh, dictated by New York Sea price. Uh, it's just simply not fair. Uh, so, so then it started also to, uh, to, to, to separate because uh, certification is expensive. And uh, I think also certifications they have, uh, when, when they go to the producer groups and they make uh, the calculations on how much, uh, how are they going to recover the, the, the cost, they usually consider that they are going to uh, sell everything as fair trade certified or as wood certified or as uh, organic certified, and then they have premiums or prices. And at the end, I think uh, cooperatives, they, I mean, they, they are lucky if they sell 50% of their total production uh, uh, as certified. So there's a 50% gap that they are not covering, and they just 
basically subsidizing the certification industry uh, uh, there. So that's really where they say, well, certification is not really working for, for us. If we have another alternative to sell our, uh, our coffees with prices totally disconnected uh, from, uh, uh, from the sea price, um, uh, then we just go into uh, that route. And also because they are not asking all the hundreds of questions that certification is asking me. Which, that's another issue, but maybe I think direct trade, we're going to discuss it uh, We will later. be coming on to that for sure. <laughs> um, Elizabeth, I want to ask you about, you, we talk, you mentioned earlier about that there's no taste, there's no quality kind of element to fair trade. Do you think that's something that's really missing from the certification that would give it more access into the specialty market if that was there? I, I'm not sure. I think we, there's... Um, there's this misconception that you can see sometimes that we, you know, that, that direct trade is quality and fair trade is not, you know. And, but there's a whole variety of, of coffee. So we have speciality coffee in fair trade as well. Um, so I'm not so sure if, if a quality aspect would add anything because we also want to help those producers that are not selling speciality coffee. And, uh, and need to get, and, and th they have a different market, you know, they're not selling to, to you in this room, you know, they, they want to sell to retail chains or whatever. And those, there are consumers for those type of coffees as well. Um, so, no, I don't think a quality uh, issue would, I think we, I think this type of conversation, looking at our certification cost and the way we, like this example, that's the way to go you know, to open up for, you know, for those who are interested and to make it as simple as possible without losing our credibility, of course. Just so a comment is that like also we have to be, uh, we have to realize that a producer organization or a producer does not produce 100% high quality coffee. Perhaps the 20% of their harvest or 30% if they're lucky is the coffee that uh, uh, is, is high quality that uh, we are drinking here. So they also need to sell the other 70%. And that's a big chunk of, the, of their coffee. So they also need uh, other uh, outlets uh, for, for their coffee. So when we think about quality, just, let's just not focus on the quality of the top 15%, that is when that is sold at three, $400 uh, dollars per uh, bag, uh, but also the 80% that needs to somehow uh, enter the market uh, through uh, another price system. Marcus, I want to I kind of ask a similar question to you. Obviously, there's no uh, quality part assigned to Rainforest Alliance, but you really no. are trying to, you know, to, to do important work that is, you know, about saving the planet and, and, and those things. Do you think it would benefit from having some kind of quality uh, stamp or, you know, assignment to it? No, I don't. I think there are other issues that are more important for sure. And I suppose sort of pick, picking up a little bit on, on the limitations of certification and on quality, I think one of the challenges that we have when we're going to help coffee producers is the ones who are not anywhere near reaching certification. So we must help them as well, right? I mean, we, we for example, we work with, with the Nescafe plan addressing that, trying to move all of their, their supply chain to 4C. It's a very baseline standard, but it's a very important work to do. Yeah, that's one example. But I, do, I don't think we should... Uh, have a quality stamp of sure. Of course, they, in the standards, we try to help farmers to improve their quality, 
but not from a perspective of should taste nice. It's a, it's a way to make them sell their product for a higher price and also address that part of the harvest, as you say, that is not sold as certified. Because if you can raise the quality, you have impact on farmers' livelihoods on the uncertified part of the crop as well. So Joanna, as, as, our, as our, like, you know, our specialty representative on the end there, um, what, what, could, what could these guys do to make you interested in buying from them? What, what would be the thing that would get you excited to want to buy Fairtrade or Rainforest Alliance? Um, absolutely, like looking at Fairtrade, I would absolutely say like, okay, what if I wish to pay this price for the coffee? Can you assure that the farmer is getting this amount uh, of the coffee? Can you show me what work is being done? Can you show me on this? Uh, is it a 75% that is more flexible? Like that they can choose how to invest in the, what these money are going to? Like I think it's been sometimes in the history that it's not been used on things that is related to this and like to really, and of course as a specialty buyer, I would, you know, something that is making their product even more, more valuable. Say as I'm trying to do with Kamwangi um, uh, in, uh, in uh, Kenya at the moment now to pay like one extra dollar to invest in something that for their whole production, I mean, I just buying a needle, so, but that they will have more drying beds and they will have, you know, like certain things that they find needed, like that my, I see where paying more money for higher quality is going in that case. And I guess for uh, rainforest, I, I mean, I'm reading the report and I, it's, a little trick to read because of the Roya, because of the like big struggles going on. But like, is it really climate climate neutral? Is that how you say it? No, it's not climate neutral. But that has never been addressed as as a climate neutral. We try to spread climate smart agricultural practices, which is another thing. Basically, building resilience to climate change. And I, I think. You, there's some studies and report where you see the work we've done with Nespresso on the AAA farms in Colombia and can see that they are demonstrably less affected by Roya, for example. So that, that comes from having healthy ecosystems. Yeah. But, it, but it's, not, it's, it's not a climate neutral, it's about helping farmers address uh, the threats of climate change. And I suppose on that part, when you're saying about the limitations of certification, if you look at climate, on a landscaper's perspective, and that's where how, how can you help farmers in a region? Then, then certification isn't really fantastic. Was that just covers the farm, right? And you need to have uh, methods to work with all the farm that is, or the land area. Sorry, the land area that is not the farm, right? Fallow lands. How can you do? How can you rebuild? So we need to have a greater scope of workers as well, I think, and not only limit limit our impacts to, or actions to to the farm itself. Yeah. Okay. But like yet again, I think it's just like it's nothing covering, covering it all, like all no, the absolutely products. not. So no. mm. And and y you guys get a chance to throw some stones at us now because we're going to start talking about uh, direct trade versus uh, certifications in a in a big fight off and. I think we do. <laughs> we do. I never signed up for that. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. That's why we were here. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we, we we actually do live in some glass houses that we're throwing stones from a lot of the time because direct trade isn't the perfect one. You know, one fits all approach. So, Elizabeth, I want to start with you and kind of like, what's your understanding of what direct trade is, and and kind of how do you view it in the world of coffee? 
I think direct trade is, because there's no common definition of it, um, uh, I, I think it's, it's about knowing your coffee farmer, you know, really knowing where your coffee comes from. And that's actually what we're doing in fair trade as well. I think a lot of the companies I work with, the, the, the bigger uh, coffee companies in Sweden, they also travel and meet their farmers. Um, not everyone, but you know, a lot of them. So I think that we, and I think you, you need to, your customer need to trust you, you know, what you're saying. Whereas Fairtrade, we're actually having a common standard and a label and sort of just a quick decision. I mean, you need, you have a different uh, sort of relationship with your, with your consumers. And I think we're, we're not talking about the elephant in the room. I mean, all about, all, of, all those companies that are buying conventional coffee, uh, I mean, we, we should all be working together. Rainforest, fair trade, oots, direct trade, you know, we all want to do better things. Why should we be bashing each other, you know? I, I, I think there's no bashing, you'll beat me up, so I don't want to get into that fight. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's interesting that you talk there about the, the, the relationship side of it. There is, a, there is an opportunity when you said fair trade is the only way that you go in and like audit it and, and, and check it out. It's very easy to hide some things in the cupboard when people come round to check and then get them out once you've gone. I mean, how do you combat that as fair trade, you know, and I think this is where the difference of direct trade and fair trade for me really comes in, is you go in and do an audit, you know, I go and have dinner with them and hang with them and get, you know, talk regularly on email and it's much more of a relationship than a, you know, a process. So how do you combat the potential for people to hide things when you come and audit? I'm sure they hide things, um, <laughs> surely. Um, but the, yeah, don't we all? <laughs> but um, I think that FlowCert, I mean the auditing body, they they do uh, not a lot, but about five percent unannounced audits, uh, and it's sort of based on risk management. So let's say that you have an organisation where. Uh, they've been uh, they've been suspended before, or they found some some you know non non compliances. Uh, they will do unannounced audits, but that's not the majority. So because there's a lot, I mean, an audit can go on for for a few days, so you can't just turn up and and you know they need to prepare. Um, so this, but I'm sure there's lots of stuff happening out there that we're not aware about, and I I hope that we don't pretend that we are the, the, the solution to everything and that we can guarantee. And we don't even use the word guarantee anymore. We don't. God, no. <laughs> so, Marcus, it's the kind of same thing, yeah. same thing to you. I mean, what do you see fair trade... Uh, sorry, fair trade. It's on the brain. Yeah. You've brainwashed me. brainwashed <laughs> um, Direct trade. Um, maybe they're very similar words. Um, but that's another conversation later. Um, Direct trade, what's your I impression of what direct trade is and like how it sits alongside Rainforest Alliance? Yeah, I think it sits alongside us perfectly well. And, and really, I don't see, so if, you, if you, through direct trade, have a possibility to cut away sort of cost and complexities that doesn't sort of benefit the farmers, well, good on you. That's good. And as you say, then the, the other side is the assurance part. But I mean, we all, we all suffer from that. An audit is an audit. And I think that's a bigger discussion sort of that you, you sort of must see certifications for what it is. Sort of the magic that happens is maybe in the training session where you teach farmers to do the right things, right? Making those changes. I mean, we, we see, for example, I saw a study in, from Ivory Coast where you just see the difference in, in uh, livelihoods or, or, or money the cocoa farmers made be, you compared to certified to uncertified farmers. That decreases over time. 
And that's a good thing, because that means that the farmers talk to each other, right? Say, oh, you're doing that, oh, I'll nick that from you. I mean, it's about knowledge transfer. I think it's a very central part rather than... than can I just add something? Because I used to be a buyer before, not a green coffee buyer, but a fashion buyer. And uh, I remember, you know, when you negotiate prices, I mean, that's, that's in your DNA to negotiate prices. It, and let's say you wanted to pay more. So you, you went to this factory in China or something, and you, you, you pay more for your products. You have no idea where that money is going. And I can tell you, there were a lot of nice cars outside the factory, you know, entrances. And so, I mean, you, you, you don't want to pay more unless you know where the money is going. So I think it's, it's fair trade is a way to outsource, to communicate with the consumer and to outsource the risk and have somebody else check where your money is going. Angel Mario, if, I'd like to ask you the kind of same question. He's like, what, what is your definition of direct trade? Like, what, put it in some, a couple of sentences for us. I, I don't really have a definition. I think uh, it's still quite vague how, um, how direct trade uh, works and, and uh, it is, I don't know, a year or two ago, uh, a friend, I don't know, we were in, in an expo or something and then came and said, ah, did you hear about uh, this new thing? What, direct trade? And I said, yeah, what, uh, what do they do? Yeah, they buy directly from the farmers. I said, well, is that new? Yeah, but they do better things, okay, but is that new? Uh, and uh, so, so I still, I'm still struggling with, um, with not only like the definition of uh, direct trade because everybody's gonna have their own definition, but also the potential risks that, that this will have on the image of uh, direct trade as soon as there's one smart guy who's going to make something really bad and then is going to like really uh, create a problem for everybody who is, is really uh, uh, um, doing things uh, with the, with the, yeah, for, for the right uh, way uh, or on, on, on the right way. Uh, so, so that can be, um, I mean, yeah, you have some, some definition on how you want to work with environmental, human rights, etc. But that definition is different from someone uh, who's uh, doing direct trade in Oakland, California, or uh, in Amsterdam. So, and they all have direct trade on their uh, packages. So that's going to be, and there's still not one definition, and I don't know if there should be one. Yeah, and, and direct trade in Colombia is completely different to direct trade in Kenya and all of those things. But I'm going to move it on and I want to come to you, Sarah. And um, I really want to talk about how, how direct trade can have that transparency and can kind of have the accountability in the way that you know, the, the other certifications are talking about. So building on what Angel Mario said in terms of what is the definition of direct trade, the way I rationalize it is in a way fair trade the certification humanized coffee production, right? They said there is a face behind the coffee you drink. And the direct trade made it personal. So it personalized that relationship. And because it's personal, it's unique to everybody. So the way that Joanna wants to personally engage with a producer is different from the way you, Steve, want to engage with your producer. And so that's why it's so hard to define because it's, a, it's between, like every relationship is a little different, right? Um, but that does not mean that we should be let ourselves off the hook uh, just because it's personal and it's because it's between two people um, does not mean that they should not be put under certain level of, of scrutiny. Um, and so I think that for the last five years, six years, um, and less and less so, I think people uh, that started to use terms like direct trade, they said, well, what do you mean by that? You can't just put 
direct trade sticker on your bag because you went to a farm once. Um, oh, oops. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it was great when it started, but you have to develop it. And I think eventually, if uh, I mentioned before, certifications uh, all will always be challenged in terms of how they can um, uh, quantify and explain social impact, I think direct trade will, will face similar challenges, you know? And so the sooner you're able to create your own standards and your own benchmark, even in your personal way, I'm definitely not uh, promoting a new certification. Uh, I think that there is enough of that. But then, you know, sort of what Joanna was mentioning before, what is that, what direct trade means to you? And then set yourself some goals, benchmark, and then report on it. And that's, I think, that's the next step. And I think some roasters have been very avant-garde in it, and some others have been a little lazy. And so that will be up to the consumers eventually uh, to uh, put them on the spot. I really miss importers. They made life so much easier than buying directly. Direct trade is really not a fun way to buy coffee lots of the time because there are lots of problems. And Joanna, a question for you is kind of like, what, what do you think we can do to be more transparent and get that message across of, of you know, direct trade being not necessarily the, the fix of all things, but actually the way that you're doing business is you know, a positive thing? Um, I think that how the whole specialty is working and how much we are um, actually like marketing the the um, producer is fantastic. Like that is just a big like applaud to everyone that is not just oh this is mine or I fixed this or that it actually is like a, a producer we are marketing and also that like the the more often you get to see a person you like to work with, I mean they are slowly getting getting to be your friends and you see each other's often, and I hope that that like in one way or another shines through in the communication of companies. That being said, like you can misuse this, and like all of that is no warranty. I think that I am big fond of like, so with this contract, a big part of that is to, to write up action plans. So what do I actually do in these cases? When I see this, uh, I will like log data and uh, have a dialogue going on with the producers, not saying, oh, but then I can't buy your coffee, or, or then this is out the window, but say after three years, and if things not are processing, and it's no longer is to the, to the standards we want, I actually have some, some data I can show up. So, so we're gonna wrap up, because we've got, is it falafel I've been coming up soon? So it's lunchtime, wow. <laughs> which is exciting. But, um, yeah, if these people won't get falafel if you give me a long answer. So it's going to be a very simple question for each of you is, how can we work better together? So how, as an industry, can we all kind of come together and work much better for the benefit of coffee producers? Because ultimately, we want to do good. We don't want to do bad. And, and there are places for each of these certifications in the marketplace. I'm going to start with you, Elizabeth. How can we work better together? I think this uh, panel debate is a good start, isn't it? Um, because, I mean, we, we are very aware of, of that you or people are very influential. So uh, we want to work together. I'm not so sure that Fairtrade would work for each and every one, but I, I would be happy to, to engage with anyone who's interested. And I think we can get the message out there that, you know, to really talk about the farmer behind the product is something we all do in different ways. And, 
and also to find out, because there's a lot of mis misconceptions out there, old reports and stuff that don't really, you know, are not correct anymore. So, and uh, we, we should be talking to, uh, to each other and uh, we're all doing something good and, and oh, the companies are, oh, I can't speak anymore. I'm hungry. <laughs> no, but I mean companies that are buying just conventional coffee without taking any responsibility. Those are the ones we should aim our anger at. Agreed. Marcus? Yeah, well, echoing Elizabeth, really. I mean, the, these kind of initiatives to meet and to talk and to learn about each other are, is, of course, central to it. And I think the coffee industry, I mean, it's a quite a unique position with all, all the specialty coffee situation. I mean, imagine if we could have this opportunity for pineapple or soy, palm oil or other things. I mean, we have a, a really uh, fantastic opportunity in working together because you have direct contact with consumers in a way that we don't. And, so, and sort of from my point of view, raising the awareness of what would we do, uh, so you can talk about sustainability, then if you want to sell rainforest lines coffee or not, uh, that's not that's not the key thing, but I think it's important that we raise the level of knowledge about each other. Yeah. And Mario? I think collaboration has become uh, just gotten better and better. I remember 10 years ago when uh, representatives from certifications that could not just be in the same room together, and uh, now they're just uh, they're they're sitting next to each other. Travels on the uh, train together. Yeah, <laughs> actually enjoyed so it. So that, that's a, that's a really uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really uh, improvement, and and I think there's also a, uh, still a lot of a lot of uh, misconceptions about certification and with what really is, uh, and and I think perhaps it's also that certifications have evolved and changed and transformed, and the standards have changed so much and. And the sector has changed also so so much that at some point, um, uh, I mean, it is hard to explain uh, when when you go to open uh, a standard uh, uh, from a fair trade or rainforest alliance or woods, then I mean, it's like a hundred and thousand pages of uh, so you just get lost and then you say, well, no, this is not uh, not for me. Uh, so so I think that there should be also kind of uh, uh, work from from everyone to to understand what really certifications uh, are. Uh, clear to, to to show the impact they have because they they have had uh, impact. They're not perfect, but uh, they have had some impact. Uh, and and also um, for for this for, for for the roasters for baristas to be able to explain to the consumers uh, is I mean it, it is a complicated if you don't understand it yourself. Angel Mario doesn't want us to have falafel. I don't think that was a very long answer. <laughs> Sarah, if I can come to you with the same question. Yes, so I would say let's just keep uh, learning and asking the producers on how we should be engaging at Origin and with the scheme, certifications, direct trade. Uh, engagement on Origin comes from the producers. And let's uh, keep asking consumers, so the final consumers, how we can keep adding value uh, to what we produce. So I think really producers and consumers are the key to understand how we can work better together because they are the ones that make it all happen somehow. And Joanna, to have the final word on, on the debate, how can we work better together with the uh, certification uh, bodies and just to understand each other's markets? Yeah, I think it's, as you're saying, like it's doing things like this, maybe to have like working group and sit together and uh, pick each other's brain about different topics because we have different skills and see different things. Having a producer in that 
group as well and actually like okay what is important what is important to you yeah well for me it's important that like unless you're having more roya that you are spraying less on your coffees that you are you know like certain kind of things what kind of experience do you have from from logging that and logging that and how do we you know and what does the producer want and try to you know formulate this and uh, yeah do better things smarter together don't we all have a really sorry, fantastic job? Because we, we're actually working with something that makes life a bit better for somebody else somewhere else in, in the world, you know? So it's a pretty, pretty good job to have, however you, you do it. Pretty lucky people. And on that one, what a nice positive to end on. We're going to be coming back after lunch and carrying on this conversation. But for the time being, can we please have a round of applause for our panel? <laughs> So before we go have falafel, uh, again, a thank you to Ali Coffee as our title partner and, um, yeah, and our, our hotel partners and our baristas, but especially Pear for letting us uh, ruin his roastery for the day. Um, I'm sure he'll regret that decision tomorrow. So let's go have falafel. Let's go have coffee. We'll be back in half, an hour, half a minute. That's very quick, Jen. Half an hour. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Cracking Certifications, brought to you by Ally Coffee. Ally Coffee connects specialty coffee and roasters in a more ethical and personal way, helping to bring transparency and trust to the coffee chain through the pursuit of quality, sustainable partnerships, and promotion of integration and knowledge. For more information, please visit www.allycoffee.com. That's A-L-L-Y coffee.com.